Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 213 with Rand Fishkin of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, fellow founders? Hope you're doing well. My name's Nathan Chan. I'm the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of the Founder Podcast. Hope you're all having an awesome day. Look, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share earbuds with me. If you are new to the Founder Podcast, we interview some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation, so you can really just get an insight and understanding of what it takes to build and grow a successful business, but then also learn from their experiences, learn from their lessons, so you can kind of not make the same mistakes that they have and and kind of shortcut uh, as much as possible. So what's been happening in my world? Um, I was kind of wrestling whether I should share this with you guys or not, because um, it's something quite personal, but it's it's just so extremely sad. Unfortunately, uh, this week I lost one of my best mates, um, somebody that I went to kindergarten, primary school, high school, uh, university. We even worked at McDonald's together. That was that was my first job. Um, and yeah, it's just so extremely tough. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you guys because I guess yeah, I'm going through a pretty hard time right now. Um, so don't want to really dampen the mood, but let's talk about today's guest. Uh, so his name is Rand Fishkin, and uh, he was the founder of a company called SEO Moz, but then was renamed to Moz, and uh, he actually left that company, and uh, now he's uh, founded a company called Spark Tour, which is 
basically a audience searching tool. Uh, so yeah, this guy is a super, super smart guy. And we talk about all the hard times as a founder and a CEO and and then also, you know, VC funding. This is a question that gets asked constantly uh, that comes through. Should I raise capital? Shouldn't I raise capital? And, uh, you know, everything that he's doing to build out his new company, Spark Toro, how he's approaching it, and uh, so much more. So, guys, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps more than you can imagine. All right, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how'd you get your job? <laughs> I made it myself. I made it myself, Nathan. Yeah, that's true. Sort of both times, both jobs that I've had as an adult are, uh, are self-made jobs. I think that's true for a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, and, uh, what, what do you, what do you do now? Like what, like, uh, what's your job right now? Like how'd you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Yeah, well, I, you know, I started a company called Moz uh, many years ago, back in 2003, initially as a blog, it became a consulting company, and then a software business and raised a few rounds of venture. Um, and I eventually stepped down as CEO. And then just this past February, I left the company and started a new startup called SparkToro. Uh, and I am the, the CEO and co founder uh, of, of SparkToro. I have a uh, one other person working with me, my, my co-founder, Casey Henry, he and I had worked together previously at Moz. Uh, and so, yeah, my, my job these days is do everything, uh, you know, <laughs> the have the ideas, <laughs> yeah, right. right. Uh, everything from uh, run the blog to uh, run the strategy to uh, set up the taxes to, uh, you know, sweep up the shed. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So, um, I'd love to get to that more, and we've only got a certain amount of time. But um, first of all, I want to I want to talk to you about uh, your latest book, uh, Lost and Founder. Um, how did that come about? Uh, so obviously, um, yeah, you've, you've been through a whirlwind of a journey. I'd love to talk about that journey as well. I've 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 heard some of it, haven't heard all of it, but yeah, how how did you come about? Because um, yeah, this book's about to go live soon, right? Yeah, the book uh, just came out a couple weeks ago. Uh, so Lost and Founder came about because I wanted to share the conversations that entrepreneurs have often in private with one another about the challenges and hardships that they go through um, and, and be able to share that with a lot more people. So this is a very transparent book and it's trying to do really two things. One is to be tactical uh, to help people through specific parts of their journey, right? Here are some things that worked for us in marketing. Here are some things that didn't. Here are some things that worked for us in hiring, in promotions, uh, in team structure, um, in setting goals, all those kinds of things. And here are a bunch of things that didn't. But then it's also there to help people feel less alone, to feel like, hey, even though, you know, no matter where you are, whether you're just starting a business or whether you have you know, something that's going amazingly well, Lost and Founders is sort of there to say, hey, you're, you're not alone. This, these challenges, these problems, the, you know, whether it's the anxiety or the depression or the emotional challenges that you go through, the people issues, we all have them. You know, one thing I've read about, since I've followed your journey for a very, very long time, man, so I've, 
I'm really excited to finally speak with you because um, you've been one, someone I've wanted to speak to for a long time, especially because I said to you before we jumped on that, um, you know, we were a customer of Moz and, you know, whiteboard, what was it? Whiteboard Fridays, I think it was. Whiteboard mm-hmm. Friday, yeah, yep. Whiteboard Fridays. Just, yes, always smashing those videos, man, to understand how we can master SEO and all this stuff. So it's so cool to connect. And one thing I did read about somewhere was um, the the hard times that you went through as a founder and, um, you know, I, you, you said this publicly, can we talk about like um, just around, you, you said like the really hard times that you went through where sure, yeah. Yeah, things were really tough. And, and I think um, that's something that a lot of founders don't talk about enough because it is, it is so incredibly hard. And, um, you know, we, we haven't built a, a software product. I think we've, we've built a little kind of a little bit of easier business with, with the media media side of things, but still like, mate, like I just know, like just from so many friends, it's just so difficult to, to, to make everything work. And, uh, yeah. Can you tell us and share with our audience, like those hard times are exactly what happened? Sure. So I think, you know, one thing that's really interesting and, and I've seen this over and over again with entrepreneurs, uh, not just myself is that, a lot of times the the hard times that we experience as people are not necessarily connected to the hard times we experience as a business. So, you know, I, I mean, I say, I think I probably got uh, depression in 2013 and in 2014. And at that time, you know, Moz was growing uh, 50% year over year. You know, one of, one of my investors told me that we were uh, the most exciting company in their portfolio at that time, or or one of the most exciting, you know, we had tens of millions of dollars of revenue and, um, you know, tens of thousands of customers and a, a great reputation. So I'm not sure that the, the story is always the company is doing badly. And so the person's doing badly. I, I think that oftentimes those two can be disconnected. Um, and I think it can be even harder even harder for entrepreneurs to say, gosh, things are going okay, or, you know, or they're not going great, but why am I struggling? Why am I having such a hard time? Why do I feel all this pressure, all this anxiety, all this trouble getting out of bed in the morning and trouble falling asleep at night and, you know, trouble, trouble keeping my emotions in check. Uh, This isn't how it's supposed to be. And that, that is actually really, really common. You're not alone in those times. That is, that is true for a lot of folks. And, um, and I think feeling, feeling alone can be really hard, uh, in those times, feeling like nobody else gets it right. Nobody else understands the struggle of, you know, having to hire people, having to, uh, you know, hold people accountable and having, you know, tons of your employees tell you that you're doing things wrong, but knowing that, in fact, you're, you know, you're doing the best that you can and you're learning all the time too. And also, you know, this is not easy and there's no, there's no sort of single formula that's always going to work. And there's a million things that other people aren't considering that you have to do. You know, those of us who've, who've done this entrepreneurship thing sort of know that, you know, know that struggle. And, um, and I think it, it can feel very lonely, uh, having this sense that, you know, no one else in the world gets it. Hmm. So that's interesting that you say that because, um, yeah, that is a common thing that people usually link or you think that their 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 company's success is linked to their happiness. And that is also mm-hmm. a trap that you can fall into as well, <laughs> that 
if your company is doing really, really well, you're super happy, you're excited, but then if it's doing really bad, you can get it really let it get to you. Yeah, I mean, I'll, t- I'll tell you a crazy thing. I, uh, I've been happier in the last two months running a company that has to do everything. It's still, you know, still not even off the ground yet um, than I was probably for the seven or eight years prior with Moz, which, you know, by, by many standards would be considered quite successful. Uh, and I think that, you know, part of that is being able to control my own destiny and, and having this freedom and flexibility. But, you know, you're staring down the barrel of a, an incredible amount of work, right? Another probably decade at least of work to build something exciting again. And lots of, you know, the odds are really against you. Uh, as you know, in the tech startup world, you know, nine out of 10 companies are going to die. So it's it's an odd thing to have uh, have that disconnect, but it's also very real. Yeah, I can kind of relate. I know what you're talking about in the sense that like, it's, it's more like there is a lot of pressure and it's, it's fun to just kind of wake up and, and just kind of just hustle and you don't have anyone to worry about and you just worry about yourself and you just, it, it's really, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Cause I'm kind of, I feel like I'm in the thick of it now where we're scaling up and hiring all these people and wanting to set up another office here overseas and do all this stuff. And it's just like, Oh God, you know, like, so <laughs> is that, so you know, obviously I, I totally relate and can totally understand, but I'm curious. So I know that you stepped down as the CEO at um, one point. Uh, is that is that kind of what triggered because you just weren't really enjoying and it wasn't as fun and and stuff like that is and you want to go to work? Um, I think a little less. I think a little less. It wasn't as fun and a little more, you know, a conversation with one of my board members um, and investors, Brad Feld and and with some of my executive team and they, they kind of agreed that, you know, in, in the state that I was in my, my emotional energy and the things that I was bringing to the company were not good for the business and that we needed, you know, we needed to make some changes or I need to make some changes to help get through that. And so that was, you know, that was when I decided, Hey, I'm going to step down from this role and I'll promote my, my chief operating officer who's been with the company for a long time and make her the CEO. Uh, and so I think it was, yeah, it was that, that sort of depression that led me to that. But yeah, I, I don't think that was the only way to handle it, but it seemed to me at the time, like the best way to do it. And I have some regrets about that, but, uh, I would say that, that certainly when you're in, uh, when you're in that kind of a headspace, it can, it can take a toll on your logic abilities. Mm. Yeah, look, thanks for being so open, Rand. Like, I really appreciate it. Um, so, so what happened next? Like, uh, why did you end up leaving Moz? Yeah, so I was with the company for about, I think, not quite another four years. And uh, during that time, we, you know, growth slowed significantly. The company raised some more money uh, and burned through that pretty quickly and then had to do a big round of layoffs in 2016. And I had a lot of, you know, a lot of frustrations and a lot of uh, contentious, you know, discussions and disagreements uh, with the leadership. And I think eventually we we got to the point where that uh, that professional disagreement spilled over into some personal stuff, and then that personal stuff spilled back over into the professional, and and we determined that we really couldn't work together well anymore. And so, you know, when I think when something like that happens, the person who's not the CEO is the one who's going to go. 
and uh and that's that's what happened to me yeah got you and um like are you still like you're not active in the company like even on the at a board level or, or just fully excellent? uh no i'm still i'm still the chairman of the board um and i think still the largest shareholder but uh yeah not active not active sort of day-to-day in the company anymore yeah got you and um, you started uh, Spark Toro. Like, uh, can you tell us about that and and uh, what what uh, you know kind of um, lighted you up to to start another company and do do it all again? <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty crazy, right? Like, who who wants to go through that that stress and energy again? Um, well, yeah. So I can tell you that uh, there's some, you know, some of it is I was excited to uh, get to run the show again and um and have an opportunity like that uh and some of it definitely was you know a, a perception that there's opportunity in in this market and that um that we could build something exciting uh but i think there's also a, a big part of it that's a chip on my shoulder and you know feeling that i have something to prove that i can build a an exciting software company and uh that it doesn't need to that right I, there's a few people in the world where i want them to go oh man that that guy's really good at this. I think maybe we made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Well, why, 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 why is that, man? Like, cause you're so like, I look at you, dude, dude, I look at you and you're like such an accomplished guy. Like, you know, you build this massive company, like you're amazing at content marketing. You've got a great personal brand. You just launched this book. Like, like, why do you feel like you have something to prove? I'm curious. Uh, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to explain. I think it's a, um, it's just a motivating factor and has been for a long time in my life. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if it's correlation or causation, but I, I, I suspect it's somehow connected to why I'm an entrepreneur, right? Is that I feel like I have to, I have to prove this. And part of it is proving it to other people, but a lot of it too, Nathan is, is proving it to myself. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I, I can definitely relate to that. So I was going to say, like, when I go to the Spark Toro website, it, you know, when it goes to like what you're building, you're in the early stages of building a data and software product to help marketers, public relations, professionals, and entrepreneurial teams learn more about the audiences they want to reach. So um, you haven't launched the product yet. Eh? And are you in beta? Like, what's 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 the game plan here? <laughs> like, are you allowed to reveal any more or? Oh, I'm allowed to reveal anything. I'm the CEO now. I get to do, <laughs> you know, all the things. <laughs> this is one of the awesome parts. Um, yeah, so uh, we are we are not in beta. We are in the, you know, just barely designing the product and running some experiments to validate whether we can do all the things that we want to do and, and what we can do. I would say we're, you know, a minimum of six and probably closer to nine months away to actually having a product, uh, even in beta that, that I could show you or, or, or that folks could play with. So a good long ways out, but we're, yeah, we're excited to put our heads down and, and keep building and cranking away on this thing. Gotcha. And, um, you know, where, where'd the idea spark about like, like for, for, for what you're building, how, how did that come about? And, um, do sure. You think, do you think you'll raise VC again, or you're going to bootstrap all the way and going to stay bootstrapped? To, to the end or <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so no VC, yep. uh, definitely, definitely not going to do that. Um, I, I don't want to say definitely. How about for at least the next four or five years and maybe in probably into the very long term, yep. um, 
if not the forever future. You know, I want to allow for the fact that who knows, maybe maybe there's some perfect VC company and deal out there and maybe SparkToro becomes a, a perfect kind of match for it. I don't know. I, it's hard to say. But for right now, definitely not. Uh, in terms of where the idea for the opportunity came from, it actually came from working with a lot of... Um, a lot of marketers and also a lot of entrepreneurs like the folks in your audience, right? Because I think that that one of the things that entrepreneurs struggle with regularly is this problem of saying, okay, here's the audience I'm trying to reach with my, you know, my new product, my new business, my new service, whatever I'm offering to them. How do I get in front of them? You know, one of the ways to do that is if people are already searching for what you have to offer, then you can rank in Google and, yep. and SEO is great for that. But what if no one's actually searching for it? Or what if very few people are searching for it? Uh, then, then you've got a different kind of challenge. Then you really need to go out and create demand by reaching the right audience in places where they already, you know, subscribe and pay attention and uh, listen. So that process is incredibly difficult. You know, if you said to me, hey, Rand, you know, we're going to start a lighting design company and... Uh, you know, we need to reach interior decorators on the West Coast of the United States. I'd, I'd throw my hands in the air and say, well, I, I don't freaking know what they do. You know, I have no idea what they, what do they read? What do they listen to? Are there any podcasts that are popular with them or YouTube channels? Or do they all follow somebody on Instagram or Twitter? Or, you know, is LinkedIn big for them? Or are there a bunch of events where they all gather and, you know, meet up and, and what would we do? You know, we'd go through Google, we'd do a bunch of searching, we'd go to all the social networks and we'd do a bunch of searching and we'd, you know, after a couple of weeks of that kind of work, we'd probably come up with a list. Maybe we'd interview a bunch of our customers or survey them. We, we'd build a list and then we'd, we'd sort of try to figure out which ones were bigger and smaller and worth our time and not worth our time. And that difficult manual process that takes weeks and often costs, and, and I know plenty of entrepreneurs who spent, you know, twenty or forty thousand dollars for a PR firm to go do this for them. Yeah, uh, yeah seriously. Yeah, I right? know. That, I, I know. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. That process, you should be able to type into a search engine, you know, into the Spark Toro search engine, right? Uh, interior designers filter to United States, filter to West coast, and you should get a list and then you can click on, you know, okay, here's the most popular podcasts that are listened to the most by interior designers on the West coast of the U S bam, one, two, three, four, five. And here's the Instagram accounts they pay attention to. And here's, you know, which uh, subreddits they're on. And here's the events that they go to in the U S and here's, you know, all that stuff, the publications that they read. And that, that is exactly what, the solution that we want to provide. Now, obviously there's lots of work to do on the product to get there, but that problem is just, it's ridiculous that there's no technology to solve that yet. Yeah. You know what? I think you're really onto something there, mate, because, you know, we do a lot of stuff uh, with Instagram and we're quite strong on Instagram and, and just a general common question that we see come through often is, is like, how do I, you know, find the influencers in my market? How do I find the who's who in the zoo? And for me, like with the stuff that I'm doing at Founder, I am so deep within this market of serving this entrepreneurial market that I just know the who's who in the zoo. But if, right. if that person is not like uh, uh, so obsessed with the market and like a crazy marketer like me, 
and that's probably most people, 99% people, they just don't know how to find who those influencers are, who are the, you know, who's who in the zoo, the top 20, like, you know, where, where, where your audience, where your starving crowd is hanging out. And that's, and that's mm-hmm. a really key part towards, you know, building your company or selling, being able to sell something like, you know, a great story um, that I, a marketer that I've, I've learned from is, is like, if, you know, one of the, you know, you've got to, you've got to find that starving crowd. Like one of the best ways if you want to sell hot dogs is, you know, at 3am outside of a nightclub. Have you heard that one? Right, right, right. Yeah, it, well, so like, and, yeah. and here's the, here's the fundamental problem, right? That it's not just that it's tough to go figure that out. It's all, it's also tough for us insiders, right? For you and I, maybe who think we know our own markets really, really well. A lot of the time I will be, I'll be shocked to discover, you know, I'll find some new YouTube channel in the SEO field and I'll look and I'll go, Oh my God, this, this has 50,000 subscribers. How have I never even heard of this channel? I've been doing this for, you know, 15 years. Where did this come from? Or I'll find a, um, you know, an offline publication, right? I'll find a trade journal in the real estate field that a bunch of real estate agents get and, I'm shocked to discover that a ton of the content in there is about SEO because that's something the real estate agents suddenly care about a bunch. Oh my God, what the, what is going on? You know, how did I, how did this dodge my attention for a decade? And, and I think that that is part of the problem is actually our, us believing that we know our market sort of um, makes us ignore opportunities that could be really high ROI, really exciting. So there, it's both ways, right? It's both the, gosh, I don't know where to start. And, oh, I know this market cold. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I don't. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see this product come to life, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, so one thing I found interesting as well is, um, you know, we, we, in your book, um, you said that, uh, you know, there's a lot of Silicon, like Silicon Valley misleads founders and startups into doing dumb things. Like, yeah. are, are, you to elaborate, are you able to elaborate on that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, I think one of the big problems is that the classic Silicon Valley startup culture, right? The, the, the venture backed startup is put forward as the fundamental model that, you know, that everyone should be following or at least aspiring to. And I don't know if this is the case in Australia, but, you know, certainly I've seen it in a lot of other parts of the world that, you know, Silicon Valley startup culture, for whatever reason, gets kind of worshipped. Yeah, it's um, not as big. It's not as big here in Australia. So, like, oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah, it's not as big, but yeah, I definitely know what you mean because I, you know, most of for founder, most we're a global brand, and most of our audience is in the states. So I'm exposed to it. I know exactly mm. what you're talking about. But yeah, you, people do go over yeah. there from Australia and get bitten by what they call the, you know, the Silicon Valley bug. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Silicon Valley bug, it sort of infects you with this idea that uh, your startup should look like these other startups, right? That that you should look like Google and Facebook and Dropbox and Airbnb and Uber and right people people like that. These sort of these billion dollar unicorns um, and the companies that are striving to eventually become them. And one of the problems is even if you're an entrepreneur who knows that's not what you want to be or that that's not what you're going to be, you still get inundated with advice that is centered around those kinds of companies, right? The, you know, our, our goal is to, to grow, seek out fast growth, right? To reinvest 
uh, profits into uh, growth channels so long as they're ROI positive in order to outrun our competition, that uh, we should be you know, looking for funding sources that can help us accelerate growth rates, uh, that we should be thinking about broadening our markets so that we are not at risk of having, you know, one market go away and have that collapse our entire companies, you know, and a whole bunch of other myths that are, they're, they're not myths if you are a billion dollar unicorn or trying to be one and backed by, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars in venture capital. But for the rest of us, it's kind of bad advice and misleading advice because it doesn't tell the whole story. And I don't think there's a bunch of bad, evil people. I don't think there's like, you know, these terrible venture capitalists who are trying to give bad advice to everyone. I think it's just that they are the people who get the microphones, right? That when, when people are looked up to in our field, it's those folks that, you know, both the investors and the CEOs and founders and the, you know, the people who've had these big exits. Um, and because of that, you get one kind of advice that's not right for everyone. Mm. So, yeah, that's um, that's actually something. It's it's interesting you say that because that's something that uh, one of my mentors taught me. Is he said, um, "Don't always pay attention." Like, yeah, you know, Gary V, amazing guy, and I love him as well, and I I like to follow his work and stuff. But um, there's a there's a difference between you know advice that like that you you hear uh, versus you know stage specific advice. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's certain levels of advice, like, you know, Gary V he's, he's built, you know, I think, you know, $200 million a year now agency. Um, so the advice that he's giving will not be relevant to you unless you're, you know, playing a much bigger game or, you know, you have hundreds of staff you know, for certain, for certain things. So you can't always pay attention to that. And I think sometimes it's easy for people to get caught uh, because they're not at that stage where of where that advice is being come from. Part of it is stage and size, and I think part of it is also trajectory and approach, right? So, you know, one of the things that is certainly unique about uh, classic Silicon Valley startup culture is that, you know, a, a, an investor is going to put money into, well, let's say 50 companies in a fund, and they're going to hope, sort of fingers crossed, that three or four of those companies are going to make the whole fund back and, you know, be the vast majority of the returns, and maybe another 10, you know, five to 10 are going to survive and do okay, and the rest will probably be, you know, failures. Not not to say complete failures every time, but that they won't really return any interesting amounts to their investors, and they're probably not, not going to make very much for founders and probably going to make nothing at all for employees. And... Because of that model that, you know, that, that investors are very familiar with, you, you put all your chips behind your winning horses and you encourage anyone who's on the cusp of potentially becoming a winning horse to become one or die trying. Um, and die trying is okay, right? That's, that's a perfectly legitimate way to go. Uh, but this, this creates a really different sort of set of expectations and set of goals um, from what a founder has, because a founder does not have a portfolio, right? You only have your one company. So it's great, you know, if 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 your uh, if your investors say, well, you know, that company died, but we got we got forty seven more that are doing okay. They they could still you know turn this around for us. You don't. You don't even have one more that can turn it around for you. You only had that one. Um, and so you you've got to play a little bit of a different game depending on what you're trying to do. Hmm. So. So if you're a startup founder right now listening, you, you probably found, you know, product market fit, what you're trying to, 
how do you survive? Like sometimes people think like a, a common misconception is, is, is that, you know, if, if you want to win or you want to, you know, be, be like, you know, the, or the billion dollar opportunity or, or you want to, uh, I guess, build a, a big business um, that you, that you need to raise VC to, to, to grow faster, re, as you said, reinvest in, in, um, you know, everything that you're making, you know, you reinvest, you know, all your profits, you reinvest back into growing the asset and you sacrifice profit for growth. And then you also use that money for you to raise funds uh, to, to acquire a customer, you know, a long, over a long period of time. This is, you know, there's like a, you know, maybe a two year period where you believe you'll make that money back. But usually people, you know, usually start, usually SAS, SAS or software products in particular, they, they acquire a customer at scale uh, with the, um, Oh, I can't remember the term, but uh, they don't acquire a customer at a profit. It takes, you know, right, right, yeah, twelve, six to twelve month period to uh, to get into the green. So, 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 what do you do then? What do you do? Well, I mean, I think that I think that the answer is to to question some of this conventional wisdom and to ask yourself what you're really trying to build. And if if what you would be very happy building is a profitable company that maybe grows at a slower clip, but who you know can acquire customers. Uh, profitably by month, you know, six instead of month 18, then you should direct your efforts there. Even if, you know, the prevailing advice and sort of all the chatter uh, around startups is to do something very different. Um, but, but challenging that conventional wisdom and then finding people who've done that and been there and can talk you through it and give you advice on that is, is difficult. So yeah, lost and founder, a, a big part of that is challenging some of those myths walking people through exactly these types of scenarios, right? Where Moz got ahead of its skis and overspent on, you know, customer acquisition at times and then and then pulled back, right? I, I, I tell a story uh, toward the end of the book, particularly about how our, uh, our marketing team got cut almost in half when we did the layoffs. I think maybe even slightly more than in half. And, uh, and yet this crazy thing happened where cost of customer acquisition went down number of customers acquired went up and the percentage of people who made who who visited the site and then became a customer also went up and you know and talking about why could that be what what in the world is going on where you're spending less and you're having fewer people work on this and yet you're getting better results why how is that possible right and and i talk about some of the aspects elements that go into that but um a big one for sure is focus and discipline and the the discipline and profitability is actually a powerful lever it's not a lever that you know classic silicon valley startups would talk about very much but um but it is really interesting um and it can do yeah it can do wonderful things it's sort of a it's sort of a customer scent right that you can follow that your marketer marketing team can follow that can produce some exciting results yeah well um for, what's that? We have to work towards wrapping up, mate, because we're going over time. But yeah, yeah. Um, look, uh, great. Like, I'm loving this. So, just out of curiosity, a couple of last questions. Out of curiosity, like, if if you if you want to, you know, I guess, uh, like, focus on profitability and 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 like you said, not grow as as fast or or, or not be as obsessed with growth and be a, you know an absolute growth junkie, like um, you know, that kind of what's pushed or kind of within this, this, uh, kind of startup world and society and grow, 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 grow. And, you know, um, you know, like Jeff Bezos style, like, you know, just, just sacrifice still to this day, sacrifices, uh, profit that makes no money, like, cause you want to grow, right? Like, um, 
like how do you like how do you make sure like oh it's just so, it's just so difficult because um you know I, I i'm i'm speaking now from experience because i i love growth i'm a growth junkie and and uh you know i want to hire more people because it's fun it's exciting but it, it adds like it adds all this pressure and stress and and how do you like like how do you know when to sacrifice profit for growth or how much or how little or or what to do there can you see where i'm coming from sure yeah i think this is a little bit more about your about what makes you personally happy and what you want and want to build rather than what external forces are nudging you to do and i think one of the challenges that we all have as human beings is to try and push away the culture that surrounds us right and the prevailing media environment and all the examples of other people and stop comparing ourselves to others and instead ask what what will really make us happy uh, and that's a very very hard thing to do i i don't expect that everyone can just oh okay i'll just go do that no nope. <laughs> yeah. right this is a process of relentless self-inquiry where you're constantly saying, gosh, is, is this thing that I'm doing, which I believe to be good for my business and my career, is it bringing me greater joy? Is it bringing me greater value? Is it bringing greater value to my customers and my team and my market and to the world? And do I really want that? Um, or am I doing this because, God damn it, I feel like I can be no, Mark Zuckerberg too, or God damn it. I don't want to let, you know, I don't want to be left off the Inc 500 list. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And that's those external forces are meaningless. They are meaningless and, and finding a way to, um, have those fall away from your consciousness and stop biasing your decision-making can be incredibly powerful. Yeah. Great answer. Thank you, mate. Um, well, look, we'll, we'll work towards wrapping up there, Rand, but, um, you know, we, we didn't even talk about SEO and I think that's a good thing because you've done <laughs> probably too many interviews, lost count on, on SEO and tactics and strategies and look, sure, I, sure. Yeah, well, I we guess, can do that next time. Yeah, yeah, we can do that next time. But yeah, look, I just really wanted to focus on, on your life as a startup founder and, and what, what, what's led you to where you, the work you're doing today. So how can people find out more about yourself, your work and, uh, get a copy of lost and founder? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, our our website is sparktoro.com. Uh, and I've got a blog there that, that you can certainly check out and follow. Uh, and then my most active social network is Twitter, where I'm at Randfish. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, look, thank you so much for your time, Rand. This is a great interview. I had a ton of fun. And uh, yeah, you're oh, welcome pleasure. to come back anytime, mate. All right. Look forward to it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Take care. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.